Good morning. Welcome, everybody. Um, thanks for coming this morning. Hope you're enjoying yourselves and um, hope you're looking forward to finishing the book of Revelation today, like Debbie said. So that's the plan. Um, if you want to open up to Revelation chapter 22, it's the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, of the last book of Revelation, or the last uh, chapter of the book of Revelation, and um, we're going to be picking up um, in verse 6. And as you're going there, a few announcements for you. Um, next Saturday, it is next Saturday, right? Yep, next Saturday. Um, uh, many of you have signed up. We appreciate that. If you haven't had a chance to sign up for this and you can come and help, please, it's not too late to do so. But on Saturday, April 16th at 8.30, um, we're having a work day here at the church, kind of an annual spring cleaning kind of a thing. Um, and uh, there's lots of uh, things for everybody to be able to do. And we are still trying to finalize and buy all the right supplies uh, as far as the task that we think that we can get done based upon um, the number of people who sign up. So if you haven't signed up and you're going to do that, please do so so we can maybe add another task of things to do to our list. Uh, the sign-up sheet's in the information counter as you head around back to the kids' uh, um, Sunday school area. Um, also, Vicki said uh, one of the things that some of the ladies are going to be doing, some of the guys are going to be doing inside as well, is we're going to try to paint some of the a few couple of the walls in the in the fellowship area, and so if that's something that yours uh, can help with, please wear clothes that can get paint on them. Um, was there anything else, Vicky? In that, that was it. Okay, then Sunday, um, the twenty fourth. Um, so that isn't next. That would that's not next Sunday, Rob. That's the following Sunday. So we'll have to talk. That might work out. I just realized that. <laughs> so not two Sundays from today, um, it's the last Sunday of the month. We're going to be doing our, our church potluck. We try to do that on a, on a monthly basis. We've had a few months off because of um, holidays and, and, and weather and those kinds of things. Um, but we're back in the groove of it, and we're going to actually um, have a potluck here at 530. Church will provide the main dish. You guys bring the, the side dishes and all those kinds of things to go along with it. And then um, after we eat food and fellowship, we're going to start a bonfire out in the amphitheater and kind of get our first outdoor event going on. Uh, women's ministry is going to pick up uh, stuff for s'mores. So we're going to roast some marshmallows and um, uh, some chocolate and some graham crackers. And, and then also we're going to try to do uh, some campfire worship music together. So... Uh, get the worship team and some of the people there involved in uh, bringing their guitars and and we'll uh, roast marshmallows and sing some worship around the campfire that evening. Should be fun. The weather looks like it's going to be nice for the rest of the month. Um, and then the uh, on high ministry is the outdoor um, ministry fellowship. Uh, some of you signed up for that. That's April thirtieth, Saturday, April thirtieth, last Saturday of the month. And uh, we're going to be going to the Lake of the Clouds in Westcliff. So if you're interested, sign up for that and um, speak to Martin. He's uh, one of the Sunday school directors. He's in the back, usually with his wife. I think most of you are familiar with who he is. But if you have any questions, you don't know who Martin is, you can speak to me after church as well. So that is the announcements. And this is the last study of the book of Revelation before we go into the book of Genesis next week. Um, you know is 
when Jesus was, one of the, the, the Gospels, let me see how I want to say this. <laughs> um, Jesus in the Gospel accounts, is, is there, there's many things that he said and that he did which are recorded for us. And one of the things that Jesus said is that he said he had come to give life and life more abundantly, right? And that's a pretty awesome statement. Life and life more abundantly. And, and I bring that to your attention this morning in light of this study that we're going to be doing as we close out because I think that we have to really reflect on the whole of the book and the whole of the message as we come to the conclusion or to these last verses and, and look at, at, at what, what we're being, um, the overall message and how it applies to our lives. You know, the Word of God is living. It's powerful. It's dynamic. It's God-breathed. And the thing about it is, is, is that these words in this book <clears throat> that were written so many thousands of years ago still have application for our lives today. And the reason why I mentioned the fact that God's called us to um, life and, and given us life and life more abundantly, because there's, there's a dual, dual thing being spoken there. And, and often when we talk about the things in the book of Revelation, the end time things, right? These future cataclysmic events that are all tied to the judgment of God and ultimately the end judgment, the great white throne judgment, the bema seat judgment, all these different judgments that are to come where, where God makes things final. And, and when we consider that, one of the things that usually falls on our hearts as believers, or it should, is, is we should consider those who we know and who we love who are still living their lives apart from God, from Christ, that have not given their faith, uh, to put their faith in Jesus Christ, those who have not yet believed and received the gift of salvation that God offers them. And, and when we look at that in light of like a book of Revelation or, or other books of the Bible that talks about judgment and the end of things, is we go, man, we sure pray and hope that those people get saved before the end comes, before it's too late, right? Because we know we don't want our loved ones to have to go through these kinds of things that we're reading about here. And we certainly don't want them to spend eternity in a place of judgment, in hell, of torment. And, and, and those, are, those are certainly good things to keep in mind. But I think that we also have to keep in mind that Christ said that he came to give us life and life abundantly, more abundantly. In other words, um, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, certainly, and when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, certainly there was this moment where we realized or we understood that I've been set free from the debt of my sin, that hell is no longer a destination, that, that God's given me a living hope, wherein as when I die, I will continue to live in this wonderful place that we've been studying about through the last few chapters, a glorious place, a heavenly place, a joyous place. And, and certainly I'm looking forward to that. But you know, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, something else happened too. I got life more abundantly. And my life changed. And your lives changed. And, and, and truthfully, um, that peace, that joy that we're looking forward to when this life is over, as we talked about last week, it's something that we receive now as a result of our faith in Jesus Christ. I spoke to you about how God restored. He's a God who restores. 
and that he, he, he gives back to us the years, if you will, that the locusts have eaten, which is spoken about in the book of Jeremiah. How God does that, that he, he does wonderful, good things for us now. And I mention that to you because as we think about our loved ones in regards to the application uh, of this book and, and understanding that, man, we need to be willing to share these truths what is faithful and what is true. We need to be willing, we need to be willing to testify of this. We need to see that it's not just so that they will be saved from hell that's to come, it's so that they'll be saved from the hell that they're in right now. Because my life was a living hell before I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Many of you probably remember the hopelessness that you felt, the despair that you felt, the sadness, the loneliness, the guilt, the shame. And when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, you know, people talk about feeling like that, that uh, like a burden or a weight's been lifted, and it has through that. And, you know, when you think about those who we love who have not given their life to Jesus Christ, the fact is, is the truth is, is there may be an appearance of, hey, they're all good on the outside, but the truth is, is, is they're suffering spiritually on the inside. And they've not received the abundant life that God has for them now. And the reason why I mention this is we don't have to wait. We shouldn't wait until someone's on their deathbed or until, until someone's in that dire depth of despair where there's quote-unquote no one else to turn for them to see that they have a real need for Christ in their life today. To be set free from the guilt and condemnation of sin. To be set free from the, 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 the um, hopelessness that they feel. You've heard me say it before, but I remember times of, of coming home after pretending and, and, and feeling at least on the moment like everything was all right. Woohoo, partying with my friends to come home to be alone and, and the reality of who I had become, the reality of what I had done, the reality of where I was going. And the hopelessness and despair that that bought, brought into my life, that, 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 that in those moments that was so real that truly there was despair that took over. There were times where I felt like I just need to end it all. You know, we hear all the time, right, about people in the world who apparently have it together. They have fame, they have fortune, you know, all these things on the outside, but inside, you know, there's, there's emptiness. And, and how we know that? Because we hear that they've taken their own lives. And we're like, why? And, and you and I as believers know, but yet we can see on the outside. We also get deceived by what we see on the outside and go, well, it must not be that bad for them. Let me tell you, a life apart from Jesus Christ is awful. It's awful. There is no true happiness. There is no true joy. There is no true peace. And don't be deceived by the outer appearances that people put out there that, that make us believe or make them themselves believe that it's all right, that it's okay. They're deceiving themselves. The truth is, is they're just like you and I, where they don't have any life. There's no life in them because there's no life apart from Jesus Christ. None. So I would encourage you this morning as we study and finish this chapter to take those things in your heart and in your mind and go before the Lord and see who God would have you share life with today. Revelation chapter 22, verse 6. I'll read and you can follow along. 
John speaking, he says, then he said to me, and of course this, this angel who's been proclaiming these truths to him, and then, and of course we were talking about um, the, the, the heavenly city, and we, we, we began, last week we ended with looking at some of the things that are on the inside, and then after all this wonderful information, after all these things were being, had been made known to John, John then says, and then he said to me, these words, in other words, these things that I have just told you and shown you, he said they're faithful and true. Have you ever, someone ever come to you and tell you something that's just like so unbelievable, and you're like, you know, or, or you, you've had that, you've had that information, you'd be like, you're never going to believe it. You come home to tell your spouse or your kids, and it's like, especially if you're me, because I'm a joker, I'm always telling like stories that are exaggerated that aren't true just to get people's goats, and, and, and so I have to, I have to kind of, when there's something real that's unbelievable, I have to really spend a lot of time trying to convince him that I'm not teasing him. That, that I'm not, let me use the L word, not lying to them. <laughs> but, you know, in those moments, you get done telling it, and you, you're like, you're what? You're like, I'm telling, the, telling you the truth. And, and we say that because we know that it's, un, it's extraordinary, that it's hard to believe. Well, that's, that's this verse. That's this verse. And, and not only does it, it, it give us a little bit, of, of insight into the, 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 to what has just been spoken in, re, in the reality of it's just an extraordinary thing, but it's, it gives us a little bit of insight into where John was at. John had to have just been in shock, right? Seeing the heavenly city and knowing what it was all about, he had to have been just like, oh. and the angel comes to him, hey, John, what I've shown you, what I've told you is faithful. It's true. It's the truth. And he goes on to say, and the Lord God of the holy prophet sent his angel to show his servant the things which must, take, which must shortly take place. And then verse 7, the words of Jesus, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, he said, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and your brethren, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, again, the words of Jesus, verse 12, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and enter in through the gates of the city. But outside, outside of the gates are dogs and sorcerers and sexual immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Verse 16, the words of Jesus, I, Jesus, have sent to my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. Remember how this all began with the letters to the churches. He says, I am the root of the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit, of the, the spirit and the bride say, come and let him who hears say, come and let him who thirsts come and him who desires, let him take the water of life freely 4 verse 18, I testify to everyone hears 
Everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of the prophecy, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life for the whole, and from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen, even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And that's how it ends. Let's pray. Father, I pray, God, that you would meet us here in this place. Lord, we all know somebody who needs you. And we know that the Holy Spirit is calling to them, just like the Holy Spirit is called to us, to come. And Father, we want to be those who bear witness, those who testify of your great love and of the hope that we have in you. But also, as we read in this chapter, those who testify to the truth of the fact that you're coming quickly. Lord, we hold on to that this morning. We look forward to that this morning. And God, we look and ask that you would show us how to live our lives in light of that understanding of the fact that you're coming quickly. Father, help us to not waste time. Help us, Father, to lay aside every weight of sin that easily ensnares us, that holds us and and burdens us down in this life from running the race effectively and efficiently and to your glory. I pray, God, that you would teach us through your word and by your spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, one reminder, at the end of service, the worship team is going to come back and lead us in a couple of worship songs, and the chairs are up front, and the elders are going to come forward to, 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 to be able to um, uh, intercede with you in, in, in some congregational prayer. So if you are in need of prayer, if you know of anyone who's in need of prayer, as a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that when we study about the, the armor of God, to take up the full armor of God, and that we should stand, and that we should pray. And, and in light of the, this, this study that we're going through, and the things that God's speaking to us, I think, this morning about the truth is, every one of us has a friend or a family member who we know, who we love, that needs to hear the truth of the fact that Jesus is coming soon. And I would encourage you, I would invite you to come forward and enter into prayer for them and then do that with the expectation that God is going to do a mighty work. You see, God, it tells us, the Holy Spirit of God is already speaking. The Jesus Christ, the bride, is already speaking, or excuse me, the bridegroom, he's already speaking to the hearts of these people who we are praying for, and God wants to use us in their lives. And to enter into prayer, into prayer it, 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 does, it does a work in the spiritual realm that you and I don't get to see that we know that God goes before us and he prepares those times. So be thinking and, 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 and meditating on who you might be able to even come forward uh, for in, in, in regards to God using you or God putting someone else um, uh, in their lives to share the truth of, of, of hope and of the love of God with them. So that's going to happen at the end of our study. But as we look at these verses... I want to point out that we ended last week's study, we finished talking about the heavenly dwelling place. 
um, what it's going to be like for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, who follow and worship Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And the last thing that we read, if you look there in verse 5, is that we're told, um, we read uh, in verse 5, is that those who receive, who, who have put their faith in, who are those who have received God's gift of grace, God's gr- gift of forgiveness um, that, that comes to our faith, uh, in Jesus Christ, is that we're going to reign in this place, that we're going to be there forever and ever. Forever and ever. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11-13, through 13, he also wrote about this, and he said, this is a faithful saying. He said, for if we died with him, we also shall live with him. If we endure, and I want to highlight that word endure, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. If we endure, we should also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, here's the awesome thing. He remains faithful. He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. In light of this, and as we conclude our study through the book of Revelation, I want to point out that heaven and really what we're, what we're showing here, and the reason why I read through Second, uh, through Second Timothy in the words of Paul is because um, heaven needs to be more than just a destination for us. Do you see that? Is it our destination? Absolutely. And we are going to be there forever and ever for those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ. And, 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 but it needs to be more than something that we see as just, a desti- as just a destination. And here's what I mean. Heaven also ought to be our motivation. It is our destination, and it needs to be our motivation to faithfully endure, as, as Paul wrote to Timothy about, to endure this temporary life as we love God and as we love others and as we seek to live holy and righteous lives that glorify and, 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 and um, exemplify our Lord Jesus Christ. A motivation. So realizing that we're going to reign forever in a heavenly place, in a heavenly dwelling place, if it's our motivation, then we should see that there should be a difference in our lives as a result of this knowledge, as a result of this understanding. It needs to make a difference in our lives today as we wait for Jesus' return, who, by the way, makes it a point to tell us over and over and over again at the end of this book that he is coming quickly. In Hebrews chapter 11, there's a list of men and women of faith. Some people refer to it as the hall of faith, like a hall of fame, but a hall of faith of great women and men in the Bible who are all condensed and brought in there, great men and women of faith who were motivated, is what we're told in in chapter 11, that they were motivated to walk with God and serve Him in light of that promise of an eternal dwelling place. In Hebrews chapter 11, think about that as I read this in verses 13 through 16, as it, as it gives a list of all of them, the author of Hebrews goes on and says, and says, and all of these died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them and they embraced them. Okay, what is that? That promise of a heavenly kingdom, that promise of a heavenly city, of an eternal dwelling place. He said, even though they died in faith, they didn't receive it on this side of eternity. He said, they saw them afar off, and they were assured of them, and they embraced them, and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. Why'd they do that? Because they knew they had 
a destination that was not this earth. They had a final destination, an eternal destination, a heavenly destination, and therefore it was a motivation for them. It says, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country that is a heavenly country. Therefore, here's the cool thing, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. In other words, the author of Hebrews is saying, he says, all of these men and women of faith had something in common that gave them this great faith. And it was the motivation of heaven. A motivation that said, this is not all there is. That I'm looking forward to what God has stored up for me. Do you have that motivation? Do you allow that eternal destination to motivate you in this life? The point is, is the assurance of heaven and all of the wonderful details about our eternal dwelling place, which we've been studying through the last couple weeks, is, in, is, is intent is to encourage us. It's intended to encourage those of us who have chosen to put our faith and trust in Jesus. And in the remaining verses of this final chapter, we, we find three things. If you're going to be taking notes, this is what we're going to center around. Three things that we're instructed to take heed of and to continue in, in light of Jesus' return for us. And as we look back to verse 6, on down through verse 9, what we're going to see is that the very first thing that we're called to take heed of and to continue in, in light of an eternal destination, that acts of a motivation for us in this life, is that first we must keep the Word of God. To keep the Word of God. Look at verse 6. It says, Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true, and the Lord... God of the holy prophet sent his angel to show his servant the things which must take place shortly after this. And then Jesus says, okay, behold, again, the promise I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And then drop down to verse 9. And again, it says, and of those, at the end of verse 9, it says, it says and of your brethren and the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book. To keep the words of this book. Now, we know that that is specifically speaking about the things that have been written here in the book of Revelation. It's a direct reference to the book of Revelation. But it has, even though it has a very specific connection to some specific words, which we'll look at here in the book of Revelation, we know that the greater thought is in regards to the word of God of whole. And as believers, we need to heed the word of God and keep the word of God. Now, I want to look at really this angel's response before we really get into that. And as John's um, experience of being shown all these amazing things that, that must shortly take place, because that's what Jesus talked about at the very beginning, you know, as he met with John and began to, to reveal these things to him. As John's experience, as John's encounter comes to an end, the angel who is now with John declares to him in verse 6 that these words are faithful and true. I love that. These words, John, these things are faithful and true. In other words, everything that John had seen, everything that he had heard, and everything that he had written down in this book for us to read, it's a for sure thing. 
And, 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 and really what you need to see is it's more than, a, than a, an affirmation. Uh, it's a declaration. I want you to see that. So when we read this angelic declaration, we who read it today, we need to see it as a call to believe. We're being called to believe. And that's what we do when we share unbelievable things with people and you go, I'm telling the truth. It's, the, it's for real. You're calling them, you're making that declaration, and you're calling them to move from that place of, of dismay or unbelief to the, to the place of belief. And God, through this angel, was calling John to that spot, and he's calling us today going, do you believe it? Do you believe it? It's the truth. And it's a call for us, literally, if we believe it, it's a call for us to see it as truth and to put our faith in what is revealed. And when we put our faith in something, there's a response, there's a reaction. If you say you have faith to sit down in the chair, you don't exercise or prove your faith until you actually sit down in it. And God's saying, sit in this, receive it, apply it to your life, put your faith in this. And if we choose to believe that God who cannot lie, okay, number one, we know this. If we choose to believe that God who cannot lie, cannot lie, declared all of these future events, then we can trust that the prophecies found in the book of Revelation that we've read about, all of them will come to pass, just like every other prophecy found in the book of the Bible or in the Bible that have come to pass already with 100% accuracy. The point is, God who loves us and has revealed his future plans for us and for the rest of creation, he wants us to believe. He wants us to believe. And he wants us, he, he wants us to, to believe what he has made known to us. So he sent this angel to John to testify to the truth so that we too may put our faith in these things. This is important for us to pause and consider because God has given us an assurance and he's given us a truthful account of how all things are going to end. And he's given us a truthful account about two very different places of destination. Not only to encourage and motivate those of us who believe, but think about it on the flip side of the coin. But also in order to warn the unbeliever of what they will go through during the tribulation, and to reveal to the unbeliever what they will miss out on when they are ultimately imprisoned in the place of torment if they refuse to repent of their sins and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now with this declaration of truth in our minds, the words of Jesus' promise returned is then recorded in verse 7. And we're reminded of his return two additional times in this chapter alone, in verse 12 and again in verse 20, right? And in all three of these verses, Jesus says that he's coming back, and he says it in a little different way each time, but one of the things that is similar in all three of those passages is that Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. He has a promise. And the same promise of coming quickly is also recorded in the very beginning of this book, back in chapter 3, verse 11, where Jesus was comforting the church in Philadelphia who had kept his command to preserve or to persevere by telling them that he was coming quickly. 
Now, the word quickly that is used in all four of those verses, three here at the end of the chapter of this, or at the end of this book, and then the once back in chapter 3, verse 11, all four times in these verses, the Greek word that is used there is taku. And it means without delay. So in regards to Jesus' quick return, what we're being told is that when the prophesied events that have been spoken about in this book, that are also mentioned in the Old Testament, that we've referenced over and over and over again as we've studied these prophecies, is, is, that, is that what we're being told is that when the, when the prophesied events surrounding His return begin to take place, they will all come to pass with taku, without delay. In other words, they're all connected together like links in a chain. And once things are set in motion, what we're being told is what Jesus is telling us is is once these things, these end times events begin to take place, once they're set in motion, it will not be long before I return. I'm coming quickly. Behold, Jesus says. And I think this is interesting in light of the fact that we've already seen many of these end time prophecies that are tied to 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 the second coming of the Messiah, we've already seen them come to pass. I've spoken and referenced many of them as we've studied through this. And even pointed to the future based upon some of the things that were seen come to pass of what might be a fulfillment of some of these other prophecies. And, you know, and many Bible scholars believe that, that the Reformation uh, or the reformation of Israel as a sovereign nation on May 14, 1948 was the first link in this chain of prophecies that start or that that come down to all these end time things therefore again we must see that we have many good reasons to be looking for jesus's return and we have many good reasons to expect that the end is near in light of this in light of jesus's return again i said earlier as i pointed out we're told in verse 9 to keep the words in light of jesus's return which is coming quickly okay that's the thought process. That's the reason why the, pro- the, the promise is, is put there. The words of Jesus is put there. Remember, keeping context, it, 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 it's the reason why it's put there. And, and, and in light of that, we're told to keep the words that are written in this book, and we will be blessed. Now, if you remember that in the beginning of this book, all the way back to chapter 2 and chapter 3, there are seven messages written to seven churches in Asia Minor. You guys remember? That was a few weeks ago, but we were there. And um, in these letters, there are the words of Jesus, right? It was a message from Jesus to the church. And the words of Jesus gave specific encouragements and specific warnings for the churches to apply to their lives. And these words of God are things that we must also keep and, and things that we must apply to our own lives if we too want to be blessed. How about you? But who wants to be blessed by God? I want to be blessed by God. I like presents and I like the presents from God best. And, and blessings are like presents. And, and, and so if we desire that... Um, we need to keep the Word of God. Not just the words found in Revelations chapter 2 and 3, but the entirety of the Word of God. But if you remember in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, we're instructed to do this in order to be blessed. It says, Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word, which is able to save your souls. 
But be a doer of the word and not only a hearer only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, he goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. So for the purpose of remembering, okay, so the purpose of remembering that we might be blessed doers who heed the warnings and keep the words of instructions found in this book, I want to take a brief minute to look at the words that Jesus gave to the seven churches back in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Now in the first letter, I'm not going to have you turn there. If you want, you can. You can just kind of follow as I take you through this. But in the first letter, which was written to the church of Ephesus, a church who had left their first love, we see that Jesus' word that we might want to consider keeping as we're instructed here as a specific reference back to these letters, right? The word that Jesus spoke to them, if it was to be, be uh, boiled down to one word, it would be the word return. They'd left their first love and Jesus said return. The second letter written to, uh, was written to Smyrna, the church in Smyrna. And it was literally to those who were being persecuted for their faith. And Jesus told them to endure. And that they would receive the crown of life as a result of that. The third letter was to the church in Pergamos. And Pergamos was a compromising church. And Jesus told them to be faithful. The fourth letter was to Thyatira. Those, the church... Or those in it who were corrupt, they had been corrupted by outside influences. And Jesus instructed them, as they had allowed this corruption into the church, He instructed them to repent, in other words, to turn away, and to hold fast. The fifth letter was to the church in Sardis. And Sardis, if we look at them, we see that they had experienced a spiritual death. And Jesus said, they weren't, they weren't completely dead, they were mostly dead. And Jesus told them to strengthen those things which still have life. Strengthen those things which still have life. The sixth letter was to the church in Philadelphia. And um, we know that they were the faithful church. And Jesus commanded them to go. His word was, go through the open door. I set a door before you. An open door. And his word to them was to go through the door. And the seventh letter was written to the Laodiceans, the church in Laodicea. And his message or his word to them was in light of the fact that they were lukewarm. They were neither hot and they were neither cold. And Jesus told them, he said, okay, be either hot or be cold. Be hot or be cold. So this morning, as I bring it all together, I want to encourage you, if you find yourself in the place where you need to return... If you find yourself in the place where you need to endure, to be faithful, to repent, to strengthen that thing or those things inside you that still have a little life, or to go through the door that God has opened, or to get, or to get serious in your walk with God, I would encourage you to keep God's Word. And receive God's blessings that come with your obedience and remembering this, Jesus is coming quickly. 
Verse 8, as we read on, it says, Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down before the fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, See, hey, do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and your brethren and the prophets who keep the words of, the book, or, or of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. You know, I'm just going to say it. It's been really exciting, I think, to be able to go through these last few chapters and get a glimpse of what is waiting for us when God makes all things new. What, 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 what our Savior Jesus Christ is preparing for us as he promised that he, that's what he had gone away to do, is to prepare a place for us in, in his Father's house. And even though we're given many details describing what it's going to be like, truly it's hard to imagine the fullness of what God has waiting for us. I has not seen nor ear heard of all that God has for us. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he himself writes about a time when he was caught up to the third heaven, he said, out of this world into the next. He said, whether I was alive or dead, he says, I don't know. He says, God knows. But he talks about being caught up to a, into paradise. And in chapter 12, he said that, he said that even the things that he heard, not just seen, but even the things that he heard while he was there was so mind-blowing that Paul said, man, it would be a criminal act for me to even try to explain to you what it was, what it was like. In light of this, I can only imagine what it must have been like for John here to have seen all of these things with his own eyes and to hear all of these things with the angels worshiping God. And, the, and, and, and just, it had to have been awesome. And then to have the angel come to him and say, hey, all these things are true. They're true. These things that are future reality. See, it wasn't like, it wasn't like someone was just trying to tell you, we're going to do this awesome, wonderful thing for this person over here. And you're like, yeah, that's great. No, it's like, we're going to do this awesome, wonderful thing for you. John, this is for you. It's all for you, John. And it's the truth. And apparently John was so overwhelmed by all this that he fell down and then he started worshiping the angel. He didn't know what to do. He wasn't trying to blaspheme or do anything wrong. He just, that was his response. He just had to fall down and worship. Is that our response? Do you see what God's got in store for us? It should cause you to fall down and worship Him. Now, this was the second time that John had done this, by the way, where he'd fall down and worship the angel that was before him. The first time was back in Revelation chapter 19. And really, he reacted in the same way. When that angel had gotten done describing the wonderful things that were revealed about the marriage feast of the Lamb. And when all these wonderful things were spoken about the marriage feast of the Lamb and what that all looked like and Jesus being the bridegroom and we being the bride. And the angel said, also he said, he said, John, these things are true. And John again fell down It's just like, and he began to worship. But both times these angels told John to stop worshiping them and to worship God. And this reminds us that God is the only one that we're to worship. But as we move on, we see that the other things that this angel said or told John here in these verses, he said, don't seal the words of the book because the, the time is coming for these things that have been prophesied about. The time is at hand for them to come to pass. 
This means that this book has been left spiritually open. I'm going to explain that. Simply what that means is it's a spiritually open book. It means that it's able to be understood by anyone who desires to read it and know what it says. There's not a shroud. There's not a covering. There's not a lack of understanding. God has said it's open and available for whoever wants to know and understand. But this does not necessarily mean that all the truth that are in it are necessarily lying right on the surface. In fact, as we've been going through the book several times, I've explained that in order to fully understand this book, a person must dig into it. You've got to spend some time. And not only that, it helps greatly to have a knowledge and an understanding of the Old Testament because the Old Testament clearly and concisely reveals most all of the symbolic things that are spoken in this book. And, and, and um, when we do this, when we go to the Old Testament, and we're in light of the, 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 the symbolism that's found here, you know what that does? That means there's no need to guess. There's no need to rely upon any person's opinion in order to interpret what these symbolic things represent. Remember, and here's, here's another thing that we need to keep in mind. Remember, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says, it tells us this, that no prophecy of God is up for private interpretation. And let that stand as a rebuke to every single teacher out there who doesn't take the time to study the Word of God and goes, well, this is what I think it means. Or this is what my opinion is. Shame on them. Especially in light of the warnings that are found at the end of this book. That's scary. God makes it clear that no prophecy of God is up for in private interpretation. In other words, God's the one who says what it is. God's the one that says what, it's, what it means. And God's the one who's going to bring it to pass. No one has the right to take God's word and interpret it to their own opinions, their own thoughts, or their own ideas. In fact, some of the last words found in this book, there in verses 18 through 19, warn us to never add or to take away from these words of God. And truthfully, these warnings, which speak of horrific consequences for those who do, are a reminder for us that the whole word of God is sacred. And the reading, study, and teaching of it needs to be done with great care, not only in a church setting, but in our lives individually. This morning needs to be just an appetizer. It needs to whet your appetite so that you go home and go, I want to know more. Therefore, in regards to what the Word of God says and what the Word of God means, we should never try to change it, right? Rather, we need to receive it simply. That's, that's the number one key to correct biblical interpretation. Is First of all, just receive it simply. If you think that's what it's saying on the surface and simply, that's simply what it's saying. Now, there be more, but receive it simply. Believe it completely. We need to receive it simply. We need to believe it completely. And lastly, we need to be changed by it daily as we trust in it and live by it. Heed to the Word of God. Proverbs 30, verses 5 through 6 says, 5 through 6 says, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put his trust into him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. Verse 11, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Now, 
as we continue on this, this verse, you're like, huh, what is all that? But the truth is, this is a very sobering verse. It's a very sobering verse, and it's found at the end of this book. But again, look at verse 12, because it's found. Verse 11 is given with the context of verse 12, where we read for the second time, a, promises of, a promise of Jesus' return, who he says, I am coming quickly. In light of this, we need to see that verse 11 is declaring the fact that a person, or the, or, or the, the fact that a decision that a person makes in this life, in their life, to follow Jesus or to reject him in order to follow Satan... It's one or the other, that at this time it will be made final at the time of Jesus' return. Let him who has done this remain. Let him who is this remain. It's again a declaration in context of Jesus' return or Jesus' promised return in light of all these things. And in light of this, it needs to be said, it needs to be said, we must fully understand that God's plan for men to be saved is singular. God's plan for men to be saved is singular, meaning there is only one way for, a per, uh, for any person, every person, to be forgiven of their sins and to be saved from the debt of eternal death that is owed as a result of sin. And according to what the Word of God makes known to us, God's way or God's plan for salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, period. There is no other name apart from the name of Jesus for men to call upon and be saved. And a choice a person makes to either accept or reject God's Son as their Lord and Savior will be the sole factor in determining their eternal destination and destiny. Therefore, when Jesus returns to judge, there will be no going back on the decision a person has made, no matter how much regret or how much remorse is expressed. Now, as we read on, we see that the next thing we're instructed to take heed of and continue in in light of Jesus, we see the very next thing that we're instructed to take heed of and continue in in light of Jesus' return, and it's our responsibility to serve, to keep the Word of God and also to serve Jesus while we wait for Him. So if you look in verse 11, when Jesus is speaking, He's speaking about a reward, coming back quickly and coming to give reward, saying, my reward is with me. And in light of this, it reveals the fact that God, he's intimately aware of our service or lack of. He's intimately aware of our service to him or lack of service to him. And nothing we, we do will ever be done in vain if it's done for Jesus in his name. The Bible teaches us, as we talked about last week, that at the judgment seat of Christ, all believers will appear. And we won't, be, we won't be judged on salvation because we're covered by the blood of Jesus, but we're going to be judged according to our works. And, and rewards will be given to those of us who have faithfully served Jesus. And these works that we'll be rewarded for are the good works the Bible says that God has prepared for us, and it's simply our responsibility to walk in them. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says we are... God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God's prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Now, anytime we're talking about the works of God or works that God calls us to, it's important to point out that, that the good works that God has appointed for us to walk in has absolutely nothing to do with salvation. The Bible makes it clear in telling us 
before Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, in verses 8 and 9, that, that we're saved by grace through faith, that it's not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any one of us would boast. In fact, Jesus, if you remember, he explained to his disciples that the only work that a person needs to do in order to receive eternal life was to believe in him, the one whom God sent, the one who does all the work for us. Right? What must you do to do the works of God? Believe. In John chapter 6, verses 27 through 29, it says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures into everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give to you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. And then they said to him, Okay, we're not going to labor for food. Then what shall we do that we may work the works of God? In other words, how do we become acceptable to God? How do we find favor with God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. However, listen guys, this is where it all comes to. Belief brings forth a response. When we believe in Jesus for salvation, there's a relying upon, there's a clinging to, there's a trusting in that must be evident in our lives. As we trust him with all of our life, and if we're doing this, you know what's going to happen? We're going to serve him. By doing the works that he's appointed for us to do. The bottom line is, the expectation of our our Lord and Savior's return, that expectation, that knowledge should produce a desire in us to live our lives in accordance to God's will, not in accordance to our will. You know, and this is really what the, tell, the, pal, the, 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 the um, parable of the talents is, is really explaining and teaching us in Matthew chapter 25. And the fact that Jesus is our master, as we see here, the fact that he's going to judge the rewards or the acts, or, or that he's going to judge and reward the acts of service that we have done for him, it should motivate us. It should motivate us to live for him as we wait for his return. So I'm here to say this morning, if we really believe that Jesus is coming soon, it's true, it's faithful, it's true, it's the truth. If you really believe this, that Jesus is coming soon, not only will we be keeping his word, but we will be faithfully serving him and doing all that he commands. Verse 14, he said, blessed are those who do his commands, (laughs) that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates of the city. Verse 16, he said, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the church. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. I, I skipped over to that verse because it gives us a couple titles of Jesus. And I love that because every time we're given a title or Jesus refers to himself by a title, we see some really cool things about who he is, his nature. And these verses were pointed both to the humility and to the deity, or to the humanity and to the deity of Jesus, to the fact that Jesus is God who came in the flesh to save us from our sins. So when Jesus says, I am the root and the offspring of David, this is first a reference to his national title as a Jew. He's speaking Jewish things here. Furthermore, when he says he is also the bright and the morning star, he's expanding our view beyond a a, a Jewish viewpoint He's expanding his, our, our, our view of him as this title is a reference more so to a universal name. He is the root and the offspring of David, but he's also the bright and the morning star. And in regards to the national or the Jewish title, we see it speaking of humility, specifically the humility of his humanity. 
and also to the majesty and glory of his deity. In other words, as the quote-unquote root of David, as you follow that, Jesus is saying that if he's the root of David, he's the one that brought David into existence. David came up out of him. Really, it's a claim to being the creator of all things. On the other hand, he also says, I'm the offspring of David. And by doing this, Jesus is pointing out how he came into this world, born a Jew from the line of David. And Jesus is pointing out how he came into this world. And in doing so, both the deity and the humanity of Jesus are being made evident here by this one title. Take that to your Jehovah Witness friends. Seriously, it's it's a good passage to bring him to and go explain this to me. Now, the morning star is a name that is used to announce the arrival of a new day. And when Jesus comes to rapture us, his church, this universal title that expands beyond Judaism, it's telling us that he will come as the morning star, and in doing so, he's going to usher in a new day. And the response of the Holy Spirit and of the church in verse 17 that we read there is Jesus and the bride both say, come. But there is also an invitation in verse 17 for all who desire to partake in this free gift of salvation and to come and receive the water of life freely. If the worship team wants to come up, we're going to wrap it up here in verse 20 and 21. It says, He who testifies of these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Even so, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Verse 20, he who testifies of these things says, surely I am coming quickly. And of course, that's speaking of Jesus, but think about it. Are we not called to testify of these things? To testify of the Lord's return? Three times again in this closing chapter of this book, Jesus makes mention of his return in order to encourage those of us who believe, but also to warn the unbeliever. An encouragement and a warning all in one, three times. In light of this, the encouragement for us who believe is to be living expectantly of his return. And by doing this, we keep his word. We serve God and we walk according to the good works that we've been appointed to. But also, we do this by calling out to an unbelieving world as the bride. Who are we? The bride. And we say what? Come. Come. We call out to unbelieving world to come and and to receive the grace and forgiveness of God that we have become partakers of. And this is the third and final thing that we're encouraged to take heed of and continue in as we expectantly wait for our Savior's return. Guys, this letter was written nearly 2,000 years ago. And the Bible tells us that the only reason why Jesus has delayed his return is so that people will be saved. I'll leave you with this, and we'll go right into worship. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness. But as long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Please come before that day comes. Because the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. 
in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with the fervent heat and both the earth and the works in it will be burned up. This morning, if you're here and you've not given your life to Jesus, the message is simply this. God wants you to repent. God wants you to be saved. Father, thank you for this time, Lord. As we come to you in worship and in prayer now, I pray, God, that you would hear our prayers and answer them according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. If the ushers, if the the, um, uh, elders and leaders want to come forward, and Seth, if you want to turn down the lights. Guys, please take advantage of this time. I know God that is, God's the one that has appointed this for us today. And we all have those who we know who need life and life abundantly. And as we enter into prayer, may we go forward and be the bride of Christ who says come and testifies to the truth of these things. Mm-hmm.